This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's very, very warm here, but aside from that, I'm very good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's also quite warm in New York. Who do we have on the 3D pod today? Well, today we've got Sarah Jordan. And Sarah Jordan, actually, well, she all started in, in, in being a quality engineer and, and, and a metallurgist. She did a lot of research, a lot of stuff in, in, in metallurgy, metal, metallurgical failures and process management and that kind of thing on the real process side, a lot of casting and other kind of metallurgical processes. And I've been doing this for a very, very long time, a lot, a lot of experience working as an auditor for, for quality programs and stuff like that. Then at one point, she ended up working at Fabrisonic, which of course we know because we've had them on before. And uh, she also did women in 3D printing and stuff like that. And now she's got something really very, very exciting on her hands because she has for a number of years now working on Scald. And Scald is a startup uh, which is kind of trying to reinvent how people do casting and has some, well, you know, you think, you know, what if a, like a really metal in metallurgist, metal insider process person would look to additive and to re revolutionize one of the oldest casting processes in the world. That's essentially what Scald is. So yeah, that's why it's, I'm really, really excited to have uh, Sarah Jordan on today. Welcome, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I do want to say something um, yeah. because everyone says Scald, but it's actually pronounced Scald. <laughs> So what? What? No, okay, wait, wait. Uh, as in, I have been schooled in order. To like... Sometimes we say that as like a joke. It's named after the Norse goddess of the future, so it's like yeah. Norse pronunciation. Okay, so what is it then? What is it then? Schooled. Like schooled. Longer it... you. Okay, so so it's just like English is my second language, right? But it's spelled S K U L D. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first off, like as a traditional metallurgist and a quality person, coming in contact with additive must have been a horror show for you, right? <laughs> well, actually, I probably first came in contact with it like in grad school over 20 years ago. I actually was at a point where deciding what project to take, and um, one of the projects that I almost took was in the lens process, but at the time I decided to do something else. And now I'm like, hmm, things would have gone quite differently if I'd gone down that track instead but at the time i was like what blow up powder and weld it back together what is this okay okay so lens is a bit but and what did you do end up doing with additive after that well i ended up not doing too much um for a long time until about 2015 i think that's when desktop printers really started taking off you started seeing them in a lot more like in like walmart and places like that and started thinking like how could we use this in casting, which is my background, uh, to try to solve some of the issues in that industry. Uh, specifically, my casting background is in a type of casting called lost foam casting, and tooling in that is insanely expensive. It could be quarter million, maybe even a couple million dollars per part number for a tool. So that's a really hard problem in that industry, and it's made lost foam really stuck in ultra high volume casting um, applications we were like what if we could merge these two together and then you don't have tooling so that's really what school started to focus on was to eliminate tooling for that process the difference is you're not just starting a startup you're starting something that you need to convince some people that have been doing the same thing for 
you know, hundreds of years <laughs> or at least the whole careers or maybe the whole country's just company's history. Is that kind of thing? Is that super difficult to, to pitch this kind of stuff to that kind of market or? Well, yeah. And we've kind of pivoted away from trying to, uh, I guess, pitch to the foundry market in that most of those folks are not necessarily early adopters. Um, and we found that there's a lot of other applications for what we're doing. Actually, most of the people that we're making parts for now are for all, like, this is an alternative process to make tooling as well. As, as in to, for the process to make plastic, plastic tooling or, or no, well, tooling. different kinds yeah. of tooling. Yeah. So we've, <laughs> um, made parts that were to make, uh, injection molded tooling, um, cutting tooling. Um, we currently have some dyes that are for drawn over mandrel tube making that are out at life testing. So just a variety of different kinds of tools. So things that where you would typically use either a casting or per- potentially um, bar stock that's machined uh, to make tooling. So different applications. Is there a size limitation? We don't know the answer to that yet, <laughs> what the size limitation is. There's a size limitation from the point of view of how big is your uh, melting furnace. Our melting furnaces only go up to like 600 pounds. So this is the like practical limitation. But we can join the prints prior to casting them. So our, we think about envelope a little bit differently than most people. Well, are you finding like a lot of headway in that, or is that is that are you able to, to get any any traction with that, or is that also kind of really slow going? Because we we know from Voxel yet from from X one and stuff, this is a really difficult market, right? Yes, I would agree with that assessment, and I think that most of the things that we're talking to are not necessarily focused on selling to boundaries. It's selling people who need metal parts, whether it's they want complex geometry, they want faster lead times. Um, trying to cut costs from some of the alternatives for tooling making. Um, and and actually, the other thing, like we are just starting to build a system. Um, we call it the Lightning Metal. And its focus is actually to enable people to use our process who are not a conventional foundry. Um, so it's going to come with uh, very small melting capabilities for you know a machine shop or service bureau or somebody else to be able to adopt this process. Okay, but that's a, is that the lost foam casting and Amex stuff, right? That's with that, yeah, with the Amex pro- okay, so process. Okay, so talk us about Amex. How does it work? Because I thought, the first time, I had to read this a couple of times because like, there's a patent, I saw that, and I, I checked your website and stuff, and I had to read it, and it seems it seems like really, really ingenious, but explain it to us first. Yeah, so I guess high level, it is based on merging um, fused filament fabrication, you know, extrusion printing with lost foam investment casting. Um, I guess overview kind of high level what we do is we 3D print the surface of whatever part you desire and then there's a very thin ceramic coating step that's involved so that essentially is where you get the investment part but it's only a few thousands of an inch thick and then that is backed by ceramic beads so it's structurally stable and then the difference from regular investment casting we don't burn the things out in advance we actually pour the molten metal on it and so the the print vaporizes and it and it exits the system and fills in all at one step which makes it much faster more efficient process so essentially like instantly kind of turns to a gas and kind of evaporates right that's a that's the whole evaporative part yeah exactly and it evacuates everything all of it 
doesn't leave a little trace behind because that would seem to be the the kind of issue here right people ask about ash a lot we have not seen ash problems like you sometimes hear about in other investment 3d printing processes um from what we can tell it burns on the out like it turns to a, a gas and then it doesn't actually burn until it's outside the system when it hits oxygen yeah and as long as you do the process right then you get a sound casting without any uh issues okay okay that, that's super exciting and and how did you guys come up with this was it literally just looking at the process again and again and again and saying how could we reinvent this or how could we change little things or what was the the, the spark if you will for this yeah so the, so the spark was um having this background in lost foam casting and that and tooling being so so expensive so we're like well how can we solve this tooling problem um, so when we first started, we did look at like, well, you could print tool, you could print tooling, and some people do do that. Um, we looked into like printing actual like expanded polystyrene foam, um, which in theory I've read that there are patents that exist on that, but that's not an easy thing to print very low density foams either. Um, so we kind of settled on like we were going to try to um, just directly replace the expanded polystyrene with a with a, a printed um, polymer um, and then it was yeah, a certain amount of uh, experimentation trial and error I think most people most sane people might have stopped out of the first one because it exploded but you know figuring out where we were going wrong and iterating we you know, got this process figured out an explosion just means you're on the right track yeah well <laughs> <laughs> right but okay but then you have this process that's super new and cool but one of the things I think is interesting that, well, first off, like, it, you know, investment casting, the problem's always time, right? These guys never have enough time. It always takes like 20 days or something to make these things, or depending on the part, of course, obviously. But, and so the time, there's a time benefit here, right? There are several reasons that it's much faster, like, but we've made parts in as little as 11 hours. So considerably less time than when you're talking like almost a month. So because we have a, such a thinner ceramic um, and we don't do that burnout stuff. It's like we're just cutting like entire steps out of the process and we don't have to remove the ceramic. Um, actually, at this point, our biggest bottleneck is um, the ceramic coating still has to dry sufficiently. And that's actually kind of the, the current process bottleneck. I actually think we can get it faster than it is now, but um, 11 hours is pretty good, right? <laughs> And, yeah, and over you, like like the so, shortest you can do it is, is is a number of days, or weeks, or something like that. So yeah, so yeah, totally. Then the turnaround. And I'm curious. So I get a solid. I mean, because you're pouring the metal in, so it is the equivalent of as if I was pouring pour casting. Like I, I'm just wondering, like afterwards, can I do heat treating processes, for example, to the cast? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and I can use yeah. any metal that I can pour, essentially, right? Or is it only really good? Or is the process only really good for a specific set of of metals it will work pretty much in anything that can be air melted um, so there are some metals like titanium that need to be melted in a vacuum right so <laughs> if you're creating a gas in the process it's no longer in a vacuum um, but most most your standard metals you know copper aluminum brass steel nickels we've done trials on all of those Okay, that's super exciting. And then the other advantage is obviously, well, you're using, I'm guessing, using a lot less energy, right? Depending on how you're melting, there's a certain kind of inherent energy consumption in melting. If you think about powders or wires, those were melted at some point. So I do think that it's more efficient from the point of view that you're only melting it once. Um, we're able to 
I guess it's also sustainable because a lot of times the raw material, it's literally a recycling process, right? Things are coming from scrap from, say, stampings or other kinds of processes like that. Right, because you're heating the metal. You're burning off quite literally everything on the metal side before you pour it, I would assume. Like in, like if there was paint or some crap like that on the metal. Not that yeah, you I, painted metal into yeah. it. No, in general, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the... You know, foundry industry is in general is one of like the key recyclers. Like that's where the you know when you recycle steel or aluminum, like that tends to be where it's going back to like get remelted and make new parts. Okay, okay. And then and then another thing is like, where do you see the application area for this? Where do you see people saying you know the people that are going to invest in this, they're going to really look at this. Why do, why are they going to do this? So I think it depends. You know what your perspective is for you know, what baseline you're comparing it to, um, you know, talking, we kind of already talked about the investment casting and, you know, being significantly faster. Um, but a lot of the folks we're talking to are people who, who would like additive manufacturing, you know, it has all these design capabilities, lightweighting, park consolidation, all of these benefits, but they don't necessarily like the price point of a lot of the additive where you're talking, you know, raw materials are in, could end up making things be like a hundred dollars a pound and you know 10x or more conventional metal prices so um, i think that's kind of a key driver is the fact that this is considerably more affordable process okay, okay. and are there particular groups of parts like really large ones or thin ones or something that it would be you know you think more beneficial for as well or not it's a pretty broad application range like we've made things down from like I don't know, a few ounces up to, so far the biggest part we've made is 85 pounds. And um, it's not a super great part. If you're talking like, you know, powder red fusion, you have these like tiny little lattices. Um, that level of details more difficult, but we can maintain, you know, tip, what I would consider close to typical investment casting tolerances. So probably in the order of 0. 0.4, 0.5%. Um, so it's, it's closer to net than some of the other additive processes. Yeah. Okay. So you also on the website, you contrast it a little bit with the sand casting. You're saying it's in some ways more accurate than the sand casting we know from, from other vendors, right? Yeah. Way, way. So sand casting tends to be about, and this isn't necessarily the 3d printed version, just like regular sand casting is about 2.5 to 3% accurate. Um, so yeah, considerably more accurate than that. Typically, we're only machining things like ceiling surfaces or threads. Okay, okay. So, so okay, that would also save time, and that would also maybe save money as well. And 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 that maybe even points to kind of the more high-end stuff, because that always kind of makes sense to follow. Do you have an area that, like, in shipping or space, this would make more sense, or, or you don't really think it's, it's like, industry-dependent, this kind of thing? I think it's pretty broad application. I mean, the things we're working on now, it's just kind of all, all over the map, um, and... Um, a lot of things in tooling, a lot of things in, um, I guess, we're getting a lot of interest in industries that are kind of been on the sidelines at additive because they are price more price sensitive. Um, you know, I think conventional metal additives really primarily been in, you know, the medical aerospace defense type things where they're a little bit more willing to pay a higher price point. You know, so if we're talking more to like people in agriculture forestry like all kinds of other um types of industries that you know they're not willing to pay 
hundred thousand dollars a pound or something like that. Okay, I like that. So this is like, and I like special vehicles. One of my favorite kind of like specialty vehicle kind of thing is one of my favorite things. And any kind of because uh, they, you know, one hand needs very specific geometries, but the, the you know the the uh, the volumes are bigger than what we're used to, but not like huge. So so it's a, it's a beautiful area, I think, for us. And, and you know, when they choose to work with you guys, what's the deciding factor? Why do they do this? I think. <laughs> I think we explain things to, you know, people and there's some people who get it and then they're like, yeah, let's do this. And, and then there's some people that like, they don't understand what we're talking about because it is such a like novel new process. So um, I think, you know, if you're like, well, it's faster, more accurate and costs less, that's generally persuading people. If But then there's some people that's like, we don't understand the science of like, it's, kind of too far outside their comfort zone and familiarity. But I think, you know, you always have people who are early adopters and there's like this, you know, adoption cycle. Is is the model or the intent to, you know, you guys just do this, people contact you, you'll do it for them. Or are you hoping to make this into a process or a machine or something of that nature to allow almost anyone to do it? I know earlier you said you reached out to foundries and they weren't too interested, but what's, what's the model, I guess? business? Yeah. So right now we've mainly been selling parts ourselves um, and we're just starting to develop equipment to allow other people to use the process as well. There seems to be a good amount of interest in that. Um, And then I think based on my experience at Fabrisonic, I kind of expect that um, with that people, people aren't going to just buy a machine without having, done some prototypes in the process first so i think we'll always be doing at least some level of of parts manufacturing okay yeah that sounds really uh, i think it's also an easier business model it's much easier to to get new customers to get in cash and and these sales cycles on the machines are super long so i think you know just to get you guys going to a point where you you can hire more people more r&d people um you know i think i think the selling parts thing could could really be enough uh you know it could could be much easier actually um but if we look at this 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 uh, this this market for this thing, right? if you're, you know, are you like, you know, are there a certain series that it makes sense for, or certain like a thousand parts, or that that also is is, is quite variable, I'd say. Yeah. So since we kind of came at this from the lost foam industry, um, the way we look at it is there's a point where, depending on the design, you would probably still want to tool it up. Um, and we're actually intending at that point that we would convert it to a regular lost foam casting. Now, some geometries don't lend themselves to that because the foam in lost foam is made through an injection molding process. So, right, depending on the geometry, some things may need to always stay in additive. Um, if it's got some kind of, you know, crazy draft alternating thing going on, then it may not be able to be injection molded. But um, a lot of conventional products parts can even a lot of the printed parts i see out there a lot of them like they could be made in regular lost foam casting and one interesting thing i think is always that well we have this um that that i really believe in flow this whole idea of like an energy flowing through a system and that any kind of part where we can optimize that flow or water or whatever hydraulic fluid whatever uh you know really really showcases the benefits of additive and makes a really low mass but really efficient part and then our problem has always been kind of internal channels and this is like this, you know, you have to go to extrude hone and there's a brush flow machining and stuff like that. But, you know, with this, this 
can you really make really good channels using this process or well you can definitely make channels more easily than in conventional investment casting regular investment casting is an issue because you have that thick ceramic and it's really difficult to get back out um like you normally they would just break it up but if it's inside then they have to dissolve it with acid um so a lot of times they don't you know with lost wax they don't even want to go there and um, making complex channels. So we can definitely make channels more easily. Um, I mean, from a surface roughness point of view, we typically have been seeing, and it depends on the metal, but somewhere between like 64 to maybe 250 RA. So, and I mean, it's not going to be machined level of surface, right? So if that's something, then you probably would need to abrasive flow machine it. Yeah, okay, okay. But 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 it's just like there's a lot of structures we can't actually make because actually we really suck at these channels and additive or investment casting can't actually do it. So I think there's maybe like a really huge thing there if we look at like really complex heat exchanges and stuff like that. Yeah, no, 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 I thought yeah. that was that would be kind of interesting. So one thing uh, I really am fascinated by is just uh, this innovation crossroads thing, and this is like a you know it's essentially it's it's a really strange thing I think, and I think it's a really cool thing. I've been following it for years and years now, and it's essentially it's like an Oak Ridge National Labs. And the, the energy department, I think, Department of Energy, kind of sponsors entrepreneurs. Right? You get to like talk to some of the, the best and brightest at Oak Ridge and also do get money from them. How does this work? Because I, I really like that program. Yeah, so DOE has several of these. Um, they're called Lab Embedded Entrepreneur Program, LEAP, um, at several of the different uh, national labs. And yeah, so I just started last week the Innovation Crossroads Program. Um, so essentially, they... Um, give you a fellowship to, you know, pay you a salary, and which is important as an entrepreneur for for two years. Um, and then there's also what's called a CRADA um, involved, a cooperative research agreement. I can't remember what the entire acronym is, um, but essentially, um, you work together on research to advance the technology. Um, so. There have been a number of additive companies have gone through this. Um, I know Adiguru went through it. Um, Vitroform 3Ds um, in the second is in the year ahead cohort. So there's a lot of additive stuff going on at Oak Ridge. And is it like, and the first thing I think it's interesting because they focus on salary rather than giving you like millions of dollars to spend on marketing people. Does that also, does that yeah, how, kind of how make do they you more research? Yeah. No, they focus on like granting the, 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 yeah. So it's much more kind of like, you know, keep you researching longer essentially. Right. I mean, there's certain aspect of it. Yeah. To, it, it's kind of intended to like, yeah, get the uh, research that's needed to develop or improve the process to further along, but they do have other things that are part of it, you know, with respect to like, there's an accelerator training, you know, to, um, I guess the way I look at it is, some of the, the bigger additive companies, they end up dropping a lot of money on sales and marketing. But if the owner and entrepreneur can't sell it themselves, then it's never going to be successful. I think that's what they focus on getting, you know, the CEO, the CTOs to be able to get the initial customer adoption. And, and you also get to kind of like use some facilities and people, this research with Oak Ridge, that kind of seems really exciting. What are you, well, you can, can you talk about what you're doing together with them or? Yeah, we're still trying to completely um, firm up the statement of work, but part of what I'm 
working on here is um, talking to different groups here um, and working with them on designs that they're already doing to then demonstrate in our process so that with the intent of, you know, a lot of these things and additive, uh, they cost a lot. So to help drive down the cost so that they can actually get, like, say, a heat exchanger design into um, a commercial application, such as in, like, vehicles and things like that. Okay. And then and another thing I think, uh, you know, we're seeing a movement right now, our bigger interest from marine, right? And also just vehicle. Also, the, the U.S. Uh, Army is looking more at land vehicles. So actually, like, regular things. So much heavier parts, bigger parts, right? Rail, Wabtec, Deutsche Bahn, these guys. And that's a, that's something that's kind of like way outside of the box, like literally outside the build chamber for a lot of stuff we've been able to do. And you know, how is that opportunity? What's it like trying to tackle that opportunity in much larger, much more expensive, you know, more, well, much heavier, but then again, cheaper per pound part, parts. Yeah. So, so part of what we're intending to do here is to try to develop things for larger um, parts. Um, what we have seen so far in the work we've done is that it's actually easier in our process to do bigger parts, which is kind of backwards from, um, you know, a lot of the additive processes work better at smaller, whereas um, our process is easier with thicker sections and, and bigger parts. I mean, we've made one, two millimeter fins, but that's not necessarily the easiest parts to make. Um, so part of it is trying to develop this to like, I've had people ask me, like, well, could we make a 20-foot part? And I'm like, well, we haven't tried that, maybe. But I think we, we want to get there with, like, you know, maybe some uh, milestones along the way and not just jump to making something that big. And do you think that, that, that because that opportunity is actually immense, right? So this is, like, people don't remember, you know, really how big that is because that's a market that's far, far bigger than, 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 than our additive, right? Yeah, I mean, if you talk about just metal industry in general, it's something like all the metal processes is like four something, four, four point five trillion or something. It's it's mind boggling compared to, you know, the size of the metal AM world. I mean, it's just starting to it's a very small, per, you know, micro percent almost um, of the total. I mean, I, it's grown, right, several billion dollars now, but it's not anywhere near trillions yet. Exactly. So, so I think I think you're just penetrating a really small part of that market. Just finding a small niche, right? If you could just do like I don't know, oil platform parts or something, that that is already going to be much much bigger than 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 just the 3D printing market is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sexy part too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we're talking to people with like you know pump parts, impellers, um, just be, like heavy vehicle parts. So some of the things that you have would be conventional casting. It's like, well, they don't need tooling and it's faster. So there's definitely a opportunity there as well. Yeah. Yeah. That impeller thing is just crazy. That was like, what was that? 2022 was like the year of the impeller. And all of a sudden everybody wanted impellers. Yeah. When they had that, what, toroidal impeller came out earlier this year. Um, I saw that all over the additive yeah. media. And uh, yeah, one of our engineers really... He made just like a concept one real quick because you can draw them really pretty easily in, um, you know, SolidWorks or Fusion 360. And yeah, so we made one too, just like, okay, yeah, this can be done. Yeah, so one thing, way you guys can tackle this is to go through all the research institutes, work with all the, the really early stage people. And the other way is just like, let's make parts for people, like actual parts that are going to be on an actual tractor or something. Like, which of these two like, are kind of paths you're trying to follow? Well, we definitely started out making parts um, very early on, and so we are still definitely doing that. 
um, I guess from a adoption standpoint, it's always challenging to try to find the early adopters. You know, there's not a list of like, where are all the early adopters for technology? Um, but we're also starting to do research kind of trying to better understand it. Because at the end of the day, my goal is so that you can go from CAD, um, have some kind of software solution, have everything well understood from a scientific perspective so that you can make the part right the first time every time. Like that's that's the end goal. Um, there's a lot of iteration, not just in our process, but I think in additive in general where they don't get the first part right every time. And so I think that is requiring us to go back and get some some fundamental research done that hasn't been done yet. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that kind of thing. Like, it's very killing, of course, if you say to people, like, yeah, we're going to make this. We could do it in two days. And all of a sudden, yeah, doesn't work, doesn't work. That's kind of the very frustrating thing about working with a startup. But is it difficult for you, like, so now you're a startup, right? But you're very oper- operational excellence, kind of quality focus and stuff. Is that kind of very difficult for you? Is it scary to just try to experiment all the time? Or is it, is it really exhilarating? I've worked at startups before, so I like that kind of environment. But yeah, I think the, the iteration... You know, when you want to get right the first time is a little annoying. Um, yeah, it's like, well, this sometimes we can get it the first time, but sometimes it does take some iteration. And then, you know, it's like, okay, but once you have it figured out, then it's like the second piece is, or, you know, if somebody wants a batch of things this much, um, that's where you get a lot of the savings, time, and cost. Because there's like, there's a lot of people that are trying to like kind of replicate, well, the kind of the metal that people are used to. Oh yeah, we can use 7,000 series, whatever, right? And we can, we can do the stuff you're familiar with. There's other people that are kind of pressing ahead with these exotic kind of 3D printing only materials, right? And there's other people that are saying, you know what? And this is to me the new thing, like in metals, especially there's other people saying, you know, we have a new material that's actually far better or far superior uh, than, than, than the existing ones. Or, you know, we can get, we can really change the economics of this additive game and make it much more faster through settings or something like that. You know, do you think any of these approaches are more or less valid than the other ones or? Well, for us, because we're at the end of the day are ultimately making a casting, you know, there are things we're using that are conventional casting materials, but then there's ones we're looking at that are, um, newer, more exotic materials, and they're, you know, I guess, new recipes and compositions that are developed all the time. I guess from the material standpoint, we're also starting to look at other polymers for, for the use in this process. Because, you know, we started this, we looked at, because we're vaporizing the polymer, we, we wanted to stay away from some of the polymers, like, say, ABS, which have toxic fumes. Um, you know, we don't want to breathe that and and the process works with some of the off-the-shelf pro, uh, polymers but that doesn't mean the polymers themselves are optimized so that's also one of the areas of research we're looking at does this work with the um with the yeah, the photopolymers we've done a little bit of research in that area and my expectation originally was that it wouldn't work because those are thermo sets rather than thermoplasts right. Um, but they did seem to work okay, actually. Oh, it's interesting. Because if you want, if there's a piece of this whole that has a process, if you will, that has to be super detailed, that would be one of the ways of doing it, right? I would yeah. People constantly ask me, like, why aren't we using resin printing? And uh, right. my, my original assumption was actually that, well, I think it might explode. <laughs> um, but it didn't explode. So, yeah, so that's also an area where 
continue to do some work in. And and what's the, like and so if you're getting the idea like what do you like you know your facilities right now what is the throughput you can handle right now or what what kind of stuff can you do or how many parts can you make or, or what are you and where where are you in, in scaling this up let's say. Yeah, so right now we have equipment installed where we can do like aluminum, brass, bronze and copper in-house. Um, I don't know that I have a capacity number to tell you specifically on the additive side. Um, but, and we will sometimes do hotter metals like steel or nickel or iron, but we have to do the, our part of the process and then take them to a partner to pour them right now. But we're hoping to get that equipment installed later this year so we can actually um, do most of the metals that this should work in. I think it's really interesting. You guys are actually literally building a foundry in America, right? Yeah, it's right. like yeah, that's <laughs> weird. Isn't it? Yeah, I know. I just, I just, like, I just only realized this now. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Like half an hour. Yeah, I'm like, wait exactly. a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and I kind of look at ourselves as like we have a foundry, as opposed to we are a foundry, because I think that impacts your mindset of like what you're open to and and think about doing. If you, if you look up foundry in America, it's more likely to be some like edgy bar or something, you know, it's like some steak place. Uh, so, yeah, so great, it, I love the foundry. It, Have you tried? Yeah, that? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a club, uh, you know, but, but one thing is like, can you even do that anymore? Because like, like all the equipment, you know, I, I don't think, I think if it was people are selling foundry equipment, I don't know. Are these guys even in America anymore? Are they, are they all like, like Chinese now or how does it work? Does that even like, can you even find all your suppliers and stuff? Well, for the key component is the milling system. So I think there it depends. There definitely are American um, induction furnace equipment companies like Inductotherm and Ajax Hako. Some of the other equipment, actually, most of the other equipment we make ourselves um, because of our background in, in this industry. Is, um, it, is that just to save money or is that because you there's no equipment out there that satisfies your needs right now? Or both? Well, both. Um, <laughs> Like uh, a lost foam production line is probably on the order of 15 to $20 million. Um, and we have background <laughs> wow. in that area and we're like, yeah. it does not cost that much to make it. Uh, it's considerably less. Uh, but then I think it's also having experience in this, like we have very specific ways we'd like to have the equipment. So that's also why we build it ourselves. Like there are design things that we put in there that wouldn't be in somebody else's line. Fair enough. And then, so that means you you might have okay. You do you can presumably cast a lot of things yourselves, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's always good, but you would also have to have a quite a bit of like machining capability then as well and finishing and stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah, on the finishing side, yeah, then it starts being your conventional machine job type CNCs and lathes and whatnot. Yeah, but if you're gonna make it for it, you you gotta have a lot of equipment or not. <laughs> Oh, I guess it depends what you're trying to do. I mean, a lot of things, if you have a, you know, five-axis CNC can get you most things. And a lot of things, you know, they're close. This is generally a near-net process. So most things are getting minimal finishing. Okay, but that's really so you're not doing a lot of post-process. That's okay. Yeah, that's encouraging. And the, and we didn't actually talk about the 3D printer. Do you do you actually right. use like a conventional machine, or do you actually like? Did you, it looks like you're probably you're probably going to build it yourself, right? Or, or did you just like take somebody else's and, and like uh, and use it? Yeah, we actually use conventional desktop printing. Um, pretty a broad range of of 
really models that we'd be using in this process. So you're just using which like is that's why DLA we have that's, a 3D printer. That's also why the price is quite low. <laughs> <laughs> so your detail though, your detail level is determined by by the quality of that 3D printer, essentially, whatever printer you're using. That's that's correct, right? Exactly. Yeah. Part of the accuracy, the roughness, the the level of precision you can have is, yeah, partly your printer, partly your settings, right? Right. Yeah. And if you want a smooth surface and whatnot, you have to post-process the 3D print before doing the the pour. I assume. Yeah, that's one way. We also sometimes just print super fine layers. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, I get it. I get it. It depends on the part, smooth, like right. what you're doing. Like if no right. one is going to see this part or it doesn't matter visually, then why do we care as long as it's structurally sound? Um, right. But yeah. Yeah. But that I did not expect, by the way. <laughs> I thought you. I thought you would at least like. So you're literally like you're like literally going to tackle investment casting using like realities or something. You're yeah, like, right. <laughs> like this is like okay, this would really a really bamboo, be cheap. please, Joris. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that the like, well, I, I I love bamboo labs. I'm a big bamboo labs booster. Scared. I'm looking at making a, a production thing myself, and I'm looking at bamboo labs because it's 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 the most yeah it's the most suited system besides building something yourself under like 10k but the problem is that if i was doing specifically what sarah's doing i probably wouldn't use a bamboo labs printer because they kind of tend to phone home and we don't know what they phone home so i don't oh, think oh that's it, a fair point yeah so i don't, I don't <laughs> think um even if bamboo labs are absolutely wonderful company whatever that, that i just don't like the idea that they all the geometry goes there there's no way to check what is being so and it's got a lidar scanner on the printer right and a camera so yeah, no, I wouldn't advise that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah if you're doing defense department stuff. Yeah, not you good really for can't use that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't think we yeah. should put a bamboo labs printer in Oak Ridge, even enough. though I love bamboo labs printing. <laughs> if you're like, you know, if you're doing it in your, you know, if you're if you're your garage, say, hey, I want to make, fun. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If you want to make like, I, I want to make orthoses. That's what I'm looking at at the moment, just for for like a, a, a thing. And and so yeah, bamboo labs is is my logical choice, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for like Oak Ridge, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Um, yeah, probably not. Fair point. Idea. Yeah, I don't think you're hanging all the same lidar and yeah, the lidar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When they um, wouldn't uh, let Furbies in when they first came out. So yeah, and <laughs> I don't, I don't know about the bamboo, and I haven't actually played with one of those. But some of the other, um, I guess, higher level desktop printers, um, we've been told they have issues and that they lock down the parameters in ways to try to idiot proof things, uh, which makes it not want to print things the way we're trying to tell it to do. So um, like I've, I've been told that about things like Ultimaker. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but no one has yet to People have tried, but I haven't got, gotten convinced that these uh, extrusion printers that cost like, you know, 50 grand are worth it when I could get like literally like a hundred of another model. Um, it's adequate for what we're doing. Yeah, I think it's interesting that no one's coming up with like a happy medium or something like making, like a like so 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 one thing that I think a lot of people would be interested in would be like say let's say a Prusa clone, or like well essentially Prusa's doing it, but maybe even even more high end components. Um, but then completely open to to do it. So just the, the Prusa for manufacturing, I love that as well. I love using Prusa research printers for like you know, manufacturing kind of, uh, you know, like uh, fleets, you know, or, or, or a print farm. But there isn't like a lot of alternatives unless you go to like a more lockdown printer, like an Ultimaker printer, which I think if you're doing a university, 
uh, that's a good idea maybe uh but then in a, yeah you're right you're right if you're if you're doing like it might be quite limiting if you if you need a certain geometry if you need to do a certain certain little hack that's really important for you so i think yeah there isn't really the the, the right solution out there for a lot of manufacturing needs i think yeah so we may at some point end up building our own printers too start if, especially if we start wanting lots of the same thing but right now yeah we're just kind of using off the shelf if you want to cast the whole the whole frame out of one thing, <laughs> I would love to have one. <laughs> just like make a you know Prusa frame just in one go or something like that. That would uh, I would love to have one. I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, I'm always looking for new things to bring to trade shows. So maybe a printer frame. <laughs> yeah, printer frames are really really nice. Like, See, I was thinking I was thinking like just a huge benchy boat, but that sounds fun too. A boat? What? A benchy boat? The, the, the 3D oh, the benches. Oh, yeah. 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 So oh, like a like, huge one. I was thinking about, yeah, making a huge one. <laughs> yeah. The, the problem with that is you're going to carry that thing around everywhere, right? So you're going to have Right. I was going to say, it's heavy. So, <laughs> my advice is start with a flight case. <laughs> and then, for, oh, you can make the flight case. That could be really interesting. <laughs> the we actually made a flight case and we'll sell you flight cases. Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, start with the flight case before you end up trying to figure out how to ship the benchy thing all over the world. That's uh, um, <laughs> my advice on that front because you're going to hate that. You're going to hate your test objects. All, all the people with the heavy stuff do, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. So, but it's like, yeah, you have the benchy, what, a, a bottle opener, a wrench. That's like the cliche yeah, exactly. parts. <laughs> right. Exactly. My, my, I'll give you my best idea. Actually, this this is my best idea. I gave this to clients. Nobody's ever done anything with it, so I can give it to you. It's like a foobar tool for oil and gas people or military people. Like kind of like one of these. Like it's a heavy duty tool that can wreck stuff that that you could give to to people like you know engineers, frontline uh, engineers or oil and gas people to just design a completely new one that's like quite cost effective, but is like kind of really specialized for you know an oil and gas guy on a rig or something. And that, that's my, my, I've been trying to get people to make that as a, as a giveaway. Because I figured, like, you know, imagine, like, nine out of ten people would not care about this thing. And then all of a sudden, some guy from uh, Schlumberger or something is going to come up and he's going to go, like, completely fall in love with it, right? That's, yeah. that's my dream for that. Anyway. All right. I'll have to look into that because one benefit, again, is like, because of the slower cost, I was like, you know, we can hand out, like, decent sized metal parts as a, as a exactly. swag. <laughs> they didn't cost us that much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So anything or anything cool, that's like really cheap, yeah. yeah, what would be like the cheapest thing for you guys to make? I mean, it's kind of material dependent, right? Aluminum costs more than just like basic steel. So actually, probably once we get our induction furnaces, yeah, just plain carbon steel would probably be the cheapest material. Yeah, knives. <laughs> yeah, like if you made a, a wrench or something, is it? Is yeah. it? No, no carbon steel yeah. is a good material for knives as well, but you have to post process them. But is it, I'm just curious, like, what would a wrench? end up costing through this process like a regular size wrench yeah like people typically don't cast those because they're usually oh, right cause... but let's assume <laughs> something like that i mean it'd be a couple dollars okay that's super so nice is, dude yeah, you should totally know you should totally do that you should totally give away wrenches or something that's uh, super cool like <laughs> or like a 3d printing tool or something that everyone can use in their desktop printers or something no but a good good size nice size wrench would be really cool i would love that I think yeah. a lot of other people. Maybe, yeah, maybe I should like get us a, like a, a nice scraper. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you. Oh, that's a good that's one. Nice. For, that's oh, nice. yeah. I'm. I'm curious now. Are you guys still in startup phase, or are you profitable, or you're not like thinking about that yet, or what's what's your deal on that, or what can you share on that side? 
Yeah, so we've bootstrapped everything so far, and we're definitely in kind of still in the startup phase. But at least it like we've moved on from doing it while as a side hustle while we had other jobs. So we are working at the company full time. But yeah, still kind of in startup startup mode. That's cool though that you've been able to move to that phase and that you're bootstrapping. That's always fun. Um, yeah, I think that's amazing, dude. Actually, if you think about how expensive everything costs. To yeah, exactly. Guys, the that's big really machines amazing, and all that stuff. That is quite amazing that you guys have reached that phase. And, and what's the goal for the business? Do you hope to just you know have control of this and just build this into the best tool possible? Or do you have like more financial goals? Or what do you, what do you want to do with this? Basically, like, we want to really disrupt the metals industry. <laughs> um, coming from a metallurgy background, there's so much just inefficiency in the industry. Um, I think particularly coming at it from like a kind of a sustainability goal. Like, so we really want to get this process out there for it to be widely adopted. Okay. It sounds absolutely wonderful, Sarah. So thank, thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. This is really great learning about your company and, uh, I wish you a lot of luck with this innovation crossroads thing with Ochre. It sounds really exciting. And I think you've got like an incredibly exciting startup on your hands. It really, really has the potential to really, really disrupt a, a, a big part of the market. So I think, uh, yeah, I wish you a ton of luck with that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, look forward to meeting you guys at some future additive event. It's been great chatting. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And Max, uh, thank you for being here as well today. Always a pleasure. Thank you for hosting, Joyce. And thank you for listening. This is another episode of the 3D Pod. My name is Joris Peels. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.